have you found any um, way around that yourself? For sure, the uh, best solution is always to build intimate relationships with customers, which ask questions and, mm-hmm. you know, certainly large companies, they don't have the time or the really inclination to to have one-on-one relationships with their customers. Uh, even though I, I said I'm an introvert, it's I can't hide from the fact that that's bonding with my customers is the only thing that that's going to save, I think, people like me from <laughs> essentially becoming roadkill to uh, bigger and bigger and faster and cheaper. If you're someone who refuses to go along to get along, if you question whether the status quo is good enough for you and your family, you want to leave this world better off than you found it, and you consider independence a sacred thing, you may be a prepper, a gardener, a homesteader, a survivalist, a farmer, a rancher, an environmentalist, or a rugged outdoorsman. This show is for those who choose the road less traveled, the road to self-reliance, for those living a daring adventure, life off the grid. Andy Brennan is a homestead farmer who began making cider in 2007 from wild apples. After rising to national prominence with his cider company, Aaron Burr Cider, he wrote a book, Uncultivated, which just came out. Andy Brennan, welcome to the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. Thank you, Ryan. It's great to be talking to you. An honor. Yeah, so, so who are you? And just let us know a little bit about what you do. My name is uh, Andy Brennan. I am a uh, homestead farmer, apple farmer, and cider maker. The town of Wurtsboro, New York, which is 75 miles north and west of New York City. And it's in the uh, foothills, the first few uh, mountains as you're approaching the Catskill Mountains. And we're very close to the Hudson Valley, but uh, in terms of uh, agricultural region, we're more associated with the Catskills. So how did you end up here? How did you end up at – what's your life story up to this point? Well, I w- was an artist first. That's what brought me to New York City from – originally I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. And oh. after art school, I ended up in New York, and like a lot of people, ended up living on couches for <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> trying to be the, you know, famous artist or whatever. And eventually I got um, jobs working in uh, architecture. That at least pays a little, whereas uh, yeah. the art wasn't working out. And um, after finding a sort of a love for apple trees, I then um, looked for land near New York City where I can uh, grow apples. Oh, very cool. So what form of art were you interested in? Well, I'm a painter, and uh, ever since I was a kid, I uh, excelled, I guess, in art, but also perhaps at the expense of being extremely bad at all the other subjects. Um, (laughs) It was kind of the one field in which I showed any um, talent for, and and I've always been encouraged, I suppose, on that that level to uh, draw and paint, and that's how I ended up in... um, in art school, but uh, I'd say I'm not I'm purely an uh, innovative paint. As an artist, I'm inspired by um, people like Cezanne, who just looked at his work and said it's just about the act of seeing, transcribing um, that act of seeing on a painting. 
uh, mm-hmm. or on a canvas. So it's not, I guess you would say I'm, I work from life, and it's somewhat realistic. Very cool. You've written a new book, like we mentioned, the, the full title Uncultivated, Wild Apples, Real Cider, and the Complicated Art of Making a Living. So tell us about that. Uncultivated is uh, my original title. It was a book in which I wanted to describe my uh, methodology as an apple grower and why I feel like that's important to cider making. Uh, The the subtitle is uh, Wild Apples, uh, Real Cider, uh, which is an ancient drink uh, to distinguish it from the the modern sort of hard cider that most people are familiar with. And the complicated art of, of making a living is, is a reference to what it's like to be an apple grower and cider maker at a small homestead farm level. I should mention uh, that subtitle was proposed, and we loved it, by a man by the name of Ben Watson, who's not just my editor. He's also the um, a publisher of one of the most uh, popular cider books out there, but he's also the guy who organized the Cider Days, which is the uh, nation's largest uh, cider event. I worked very close with him on, on the book, and yeah, I owe him a great deal of uh, <laughs> gratitude because I'm not a writer. I'm a farmer. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what led you to write the book in the first place? Well, originally I wanted to explain sort of the 101s at, uh, to people. I get at the farmer's market all the time, people asking, like, how do you make cider? or What makes these apples different than conventional apples? And I wanted to explain that or give it the full space to describe what makes it different and what, what is cider and all those things. But um, <laughs> there's another reason, and I, I think this is, this is really what I... Uh, uh, ultimately was fueled by when I wrote the book, well, I want to show people what to look at, what to see when they see cider, what types of businesses and farms uh, are growing apples, perhaps um, uh, more in keeping with the uh, ancient tradition of cider. And um, a world that modernity is, has really overlooked, I find it stunningly beautiful, the cider world, the apple world, uh, these old homestead farms, and I just I wanted to paint that picture for people so that they know what they're looking at when they when they approach cider. Excellent. So, th- did you enjoy the process of writing the book and getting it published? Uh, I really did. It was um, I I've been writing blog journals now for ten years, which is just more like a diary that I would publish, and I think there's like two readers <laughs> and. Uh, and I've been doing that for a long time. When approached uh, then my editor about uh, writing a book, um, my original thought was that I would take all these blog posts, many of which weren't even published, um, they're just on my computer, and I would sort of create a, a, a narrative which tied them together. But it morphed into something different as I was writing it, and mm-hmm. just absolutely obsessed writing for on average 12 hours a day for every day for for a year and wow um, i never got tired i just i woke up and i just couldn't wait to get writing again and um <laughs> so yeah i really enjoyed it uh, i should i should also say that last year when i did write it was an off year for apples so there was literally nothing to do on the farm <laughs> so i really locked out that way yeah that's useful <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you see yourself writing another one 
in the future, maybe? Right now, I don't. Uh, it feels good to be uh, done with that project, and I'm just in love with being out in the orchard right now. The same sort of passion I had for writing last year is, is right now, it's just applied to my orchard. And I'm not excited about making cider this fall. I just want to spend every moment working with the trees. And um, so that's where my energy is now, although um, I do have ideas that are brewing. So it, it might happen. Yeah. Um, but, but. <laughs> You're slated to present at the Mother Earth News Fair. It's one of the main reasons how we found you. What are you planning to be covering, especially in the, I guess you're going to be in uh, Albany, Oregon, which is the one that I'm going to. The thing I'm most known for is uh, wild apples because 75% of all the cider I make is from wild apples, so they're not even on my farm. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to discuss wild apples and what makes them different, which is such an enormous topic. Again, I kind of want to uh, introduce people to wild apples to tell them about what makes them so special. So it's going to hinge on that, uh, and I, I'll talk about what they mean to cider, what they mean to a homestead farmer, what they mean to um, businesses even, and mm-hmm. um, which are, like I said, it's all that's all tied to the book. But an introduction to wild apples and what makes them so important, because they are, to uh, humans. And uh, so that's one topic. And the other, I've just been asked to do another uh, talk the following day on cider, which uh, which really does need its own full focus. So the second day I'll be talking about uh, making cider and the 101s and the history of it and that stuff. Why not? Have you been to any of these before, these Mother of News fairs, and have you have you presented at them? I've never been to the uh, the, the Mother of News fairs. Um, in the Northeast here, we have these organizations called uh, MAFCA and, and um, NOFA, and these are statewide and uh, Northeast organic conferences. And there's one in Maine called the Common Ground Fair, which is, I think, very, very similar to the Mother Earth News Fair, which is largely small-scale farmers and uh, uh, homesteaders. It involves everything from, you know, seminars on solar energy and siphoning by hand. So, you know, same sort of uh, demographic. Uh, And these are my people. And uh, we just don't have uh, a Mother Earth Fair um, in our area. So I've been excited to to be a part of it. Um, And I've read that magazine since I was in my 20s long ago. (laughs) So, yeah, it's right up my alley. So what do you hope people are going to get from watching your presentation? I hope they're inspired to make cider, and uh, if not cider, wine, or whatever fruit grows in their area. I really don't want to live in a world where it's just specialists who do one thing. That's part of living on a homestead farm. You don't just tap your maple trees or grow vegetables and sell eggs and have honey, uh, you, you do all those things um, rather than just one. So I'm hoping to inspire people to to embrace uh, what is, I guess, my specialty in cider, <laughs> although mm-hmm. I, I'm not fond of calling myself a cider maker. It's just one of many things that I do. Uh, but uh, I want people to uh, realize just how simple and uh, natural it is, and hopefully they'll be making it and become part of this uh, tradition themselves. 
Okay, we're going to pause the conversation right there. What you're listening to right now is a special edition podcast. These episodes all have to do with the Mother Earth News Fair in Albany, Oregon of 2019. At the time I'm recording this, we have learned so much about how to take advantage of events, and I want you to be able to use this information in your own business. Go to brianjpombo.com slash secrets. We are going to be putting out helpful materials on how you can use events to grow your business. When you go to this page, you will either see our latest programs, or if you make it there early enough, you will see an email address capture page. Put in your email address, and we will be sure and update you as soon as we get these out there. You're not going to want to miss this. If you get in early enough, you can get a special deal. These are principles that never go away. These programs will be based on the experience of people who have written books, spoken at the events, or exhibited there, talking about how to use events, books, and speaking, all to build your business. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O dot com slash S-E-C-R-E-T-S. com slash secrets. And now, back to the conversation. So why are you doing this? Why are you coming out to present? You're going all the way across country and everything else. What do you hope to get out of it personally? Well, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to go to Oregon. One is I have a great number of my cider customers are in Oregon, and I think the demographic of that state is sympathetic or more astute or to what it is I'm doing. So they've always been interested in my cider and sold around the state. I'm well, like-minded people. And so on the cider front, uh, I wanted to do that. And um, my publisher also um, has asked me to uh, promote the book. And I, it's not, selling stuff is not my specialty. And I feel um, it, it makes me nervous. And uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I've agreed at least to do... Um, four or five uh, events um, to promote the book. This is really an opportunity to uh, accomplish uh, many things, or what's the uh, phrase, shoot two birds with one stone? No, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is, this is more like five birds, a lot of things that are all coming together for this. Very cool. Are you going to have some time to check out the rest of Oregon while you're out here? Yes, I have a couple of days. My distributor, whose uh, company I should mention is Consolon, they mostly distribute wine, but as uh, Ian is his name, he's lined up some accounts that I should visit, and I think we're going to do a couple of tastings at those wine stores or restaurants, and he's going to show me the what I should be uh, looking at. <laughs> and people are going to be able to try your cider at the Mother Earth News Fair? Yes, they're already out there now with that distributor. I'm, I'm toying with the idea of bringing some very, very odd ciders, although it's going to be hard to bring them while traveling. But, um, yeah, they'll be able to taste that at the fair. And also there's a couple of wine stores that are doing pourings where I'll be talking as well. So I, I know Portland, um, a couple other towns out there. I'm drawing a blank on where they are, but uh, sure. certainly the uh, fair and then a couple of... Um, places around Portland and perhaps further. You'd have to find, if, if anyone listening is interested, you'd, um, my website probably says that, which is com, and there's an events page. We'll link to it in the description, too. Thank you. Tell, tell us about that name, Aaron Burr Cider. How'd you come up with that? <laughs> Do you know Aaron Burr? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm a history buff. I oh, love great. it. <laughs> oh, wow. If we're akin that we, we're real, my wife and I are um, real history buffs, too. And um, uh, so we moved to this farm, which was bought by William Brown in 1817. And the Browns had it in their family as Olmsted Farm for 150 years. And as we were researching the deed when we took it over, we were uh, intrigued by the uh, the lawyer who wrote the deed, and that, that was Aaron Burr, and this was 1817. And we were, we were thinking, how could this be the actual Aaron Burr that, <laughs> who shot Hamilton? And sure enough, as we did the uh, research, his political career was over at the time, and he returned to law, and that's what he did for the next 30 years. He um, mostly settled property uh, deeds. Back in 1817, there was huge properties that were getting divided and sold to homestead farmers. There was a, a lot of need for that type of, of attorney. Wow, that is a, that's that's quite a cool story to go along with the product. That's great. If I could also say, um, we wanted a, a local name who represented the era, which would we very much believe is the prime time or the the peak of cider production, not just in America but in the world, which was uh, just after the Revolutionary War in the early 1800s, um, cider production in America was just, it was the only thing I could think of is, as an analogy would be uh, like 15th century Florence when there was a, you know, artist in, in every loft. I mean, there was, every town had a cider maker and the uh, apple cultivation and the was just at its peak then. Very neat. Have you got to travel much? You're promoting the book, you're putting on presentations. Have you got to travel a whole lot? I, I imagine Oregon's probably the furthest you've traveled, right? Yeah, sort of resisting traveling and promoting because after writing the book, I'm like I mentioned, I'm really just in love with uh, farming again, and uh, yeah. I, I want to get into the uh, the groove and and give the uh, trees the attention that they might not have had last year. And, um, <laughs> So I've been resisting it, and I only have maybe four or five events lined up before the the big harvest this uh, September. Well, that's great. I think what you're saying is pretty common, especially in this industry and in this niche. A lot of people, they have their own place that they're used to being at, and traveling is kind of outside of their realm, having to travel a whole lot, especially if they're interested in what's going on at home. Do you have any logistical tips, anything that uh, for people to keep in mind while they're traveling, especially if they're resistant to it? I need a lot of alone time. That's uh, <laughs> quite of the um, introvert. I just need... I love engaging with people and telling people about uh, wild apples and cider if they're interested in that, and, uh, and I really love it. But my interaction with people is sort of like uh, like a, a cell phone battery. It doesn't. Um, I just I go out, and then after maybe about two hours or three hours, I just crash, and I need to be uh, alone and recharged. So I, you know, that I think is a textbook definition of an introvert, and that mm-hmm. I need that. And if I have that, then yeah, I, I like to travel. Uh, I'm really excited to see just how apples are adjusting to the soil out there compared to, you know, I know it's a very different uh, climate, but uh, different soil structure. And, you know, I'm used to the northeast apples, so I want to interview some trees while I'm out there. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip, especially for people who are more introverted, to be able to have that set on their schedule ahead of time so it's not completely miserable the entire trip. So that, I really appreciate your time with us. Can you tell us if a listener is interested in buying more about you, your book, about Aaron Burr Cider, where's the best place for them to go? Well, our 
homepage or uh, Aaron Bursider is uh, is really a directory to all the different projects, which includes the book and uh, the cider. I, you know, I want to say that it's not just us. I mean, there's so many other great cider producers out there and small farmers. Uh, I was really, really lucky to have uh, a lot of uh, attention thrust on me as uh, early on as cider was sort of taking off. In some ways, it's not fair. I've, it's, um, you know, my trees are my trees and somebody else has their trees and we, we all have a relationship to uh, to the land. And um, I, I appreciate the, the focus and, and the interest from customers, but... Um, I would say any any local uh, apple farmer and, and deserving of of that attention, and um, you know, I think it's it's a local drink. I appreciate customers far and wide interested in our cider, but uh, you know, ultimately, I I think it's about people bonding to uh, their region, their land. So uh, I would encourage people to really dig uh, because it's small producers are out there. They don't, they just haven't been uh, as lucky as I am in in terms of reaching the people. Ultimately, I hope that's what brings them back to apples um, because, you know, as a nation, we were all apple growers and we need to be. We need to be again. So many great lessons there. Absolutely. And are you still doing your blog journal? Are you keeping up on that? Yeah, I still um, I still do about a post two months or so. And that's a, that was always my pace. Um, I keep a lot to myself because <laughs> I sometimes – I feel like sometimes I'm just a curmudgeon, just jaded and depressed by what's you know happening in the modern world and sure and uh, so I, I often I'll write something I'll give it about a week and if, if I think there's something positive I'll publish it but um, a great number of my rants go, <laughs> go still go unpublished. <laughs> Can people reach that from the uh, Aaron Bursider site? That's also linked. To uh, Aaron we have all these weird projects because, uh, like I mentioned, I've got an art background. I have something known as the Aaron Burlesque, <laughs> <laughs> which is supposed to be the antidote to uh, Hamilton the play, which is yeah, uh, which any anti-federalist knows to be federalist propaganda. So, uh, <laughs> so the Aaron Burlesque is the uh, additional um, anecdote to. Uh, I think his name is Lynn Manuel. Uh, yeah. His famous Hamilton play. Um, Very neat. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a photo series. That's on the website. The blog is attached to the website. <laughs> we have a line of underwear, which is a really long story. People wanted us to um, advertise our logo on shirts or something like that because we have a neat logo. It has the old gun from the duel, and uh, and I'm a, I'm opposed to that sort of corporate advertising in public. So. Mm-hmm. We came up with the underwear, and I said, well, if, if you're going to wear our logo, nobody's going to be able to see it. <laughs> so we have that. Very cool. But those are all just art projects, really. Yep. It's great that you allow yourself to be so expressive and to find new ways to be able to put things out there and just kind of follow passions the way you do. It's really refreshing. So what makes Wild Apple and Wild Apple Cider so uniquely different that comes uh, straight from a domestic orchard. This is a long story, but I'm going to try to say it fast. And um, I'll say with each sentence, it can unfold into uh, a huge topic on its own. But my interest in wild apples uh, as a farmer is that they exist unsprayed. And apples are the most sprayed crop in America. And they're one of the, one of the most in the world. Hmm. They're extremely manipulated 
and they have to be because about 150 years ago, we've kind of stopped the evolution of the apple. Meanwhile, every other disease and insect has been keeping pace, and uh, now these trees are sitting ducks. So that sort of describes your conventional orchard. Um, monocrop environments which with a uh, what is now a sitting duck for diseases and insects which can uh, destroy your crop and literally kill the tree. Um, a wild apple is, a, is an apple tree which uh, has figured out how to acclimate to to the environment and it's a very diverse environment. Um, here in the northeast they're, they're everywhere. They're um, along the roads, on uh, old pastures, and they don't get any of that attention, and yet they still survive. So that's one um, way to describe a wild apple, but just even genetically, it's very different than a uh, farmed apple. Uh, this is fascinating. Um, in every single apple are five seeds, and every single seed is going to become genetically its own variety. So whereas in your grocery store you have five varieties that we all know, Golden Delicious and Red Delicious and Macintosh, mm -hmm. in every single apple are five new varieties that this world has never seen. And then on just one tree alone, there's, on a good year, there might be a 1,000 apples. So it's 5,000 varieties that this world has never seen. And the point of that is to put as much seed out in the world and see what, what survives and what type of genetics are needed for, that, for where that seed just happens to end up. That's not done on farms. What happens on a farm is they've flown a particular variety, let's say uh, Granny Smith, and they'll take a piece of wood from the original Granny Smith, which is its own variety, and they just graft that onto the root system of hundreds and now thousands and now hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of, of trees so that what grows above that graft union is just one variety, Granny Smith. And, um, every single wild apple tree, if it's uh, from seed, is going to be its own variety. Wow. Oh, I should also mention that genetically they are infinitely more diverse than humans, and humans have not cloned, or at least to say that we've never had two humans exactly the same mm -hmm. on the planet. So I, I find that a, um, alarming that something that as sophisticated as, as an apple tree is not able to, is not given the, um, the green light to express itself. Uh, genetically, nor is it able to, nor is it allowed to defend itself or acclimate to various environments. I'm, I'm telling you about apple trees, and sadly, this is true of pretty much everything um, from farmed animals to farm crops. Mm -hmm. Apple trees are particularly um, diverse, and I believe they might be the most genetically diverse plant in the plant kingdom. That is really interesting. I, you know, I've heard it expressed on occasion, some pieces of that, but I've never heard it said quite that way. That's really interesting. Is there anything else that you want to cover? We'd like to say something about, I don't know how to do this, and even after writing the book, I still don't know how to do this, how to really say what I find is important about running a, uh, a business in the modern world, because we have economy is constantly going up, costs of living are constantly going up, and as a business owner, you're, it's just assumed you, you're going to be larger next year than you are this year, but that doesn't really apply to a farmer. You can't enlarge your farm. Mm. Uh, you have a relationship with the land and a limited amount of uh, acreage or so or a limited amount of trees. And uh, there's an economy to be worked out on every homestead farm on how to survive 
uh, how to maximize what you what you can get from your farm. But in the end, it's uh, that's not the the larger economy. It just demands so much more. So there's a real disconnect between farming sustainably, and that includes cider. That includes, for sure, uh, apples and particularly the uh, old version, the uh, or I should say the real version of apple, seedling tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all these things are in are direct competition, or I should say uh, they're, they're, they're so easily or antiquated by uh, a world where everything is uh, cheap and expanding and homogenizing. And um, it's really, we live in a, a world of a, where efficiency is king and expansion is king. Those are not applicable principles for what I feel like is real cider and real apple growing. In the end, agriculture is about a, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that I try to cover in the book, I don't know exactly how to do it, how to give that this limited scale business just desserts. So what I did, at least in the book, is I, I really tried to um, focus on the the people and the culture around me and the farm and hopefully the reader empathizes and will understand just what's at risk or what's sort of just overrun by the uh, modern expanding economy. Mm -hmm. Do you have any clue as to what possible solutions might be to some of that? Have you found any Uh, way around that yourself? For sure the uh, best solution is always to build intimate relationships with customers, which ask questions and, mm-hmm. you know, certainly large companies, they don't have the time or the really inclination to, to have one-on-one relationships with their customers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, even though I, I said I'm an introvert, it's, I can't hide from the fact that that's bonding with my customers is the only thing that that's going to save, I think, people like me from essentially becoming roadkill to uh, bigger and bigger and faster and cheaper. Wow, that is a very, very, very important point there that you just made. I hope everybody that's listening catches that because it's it's such a simple concept, but that one thing, like you said, is the thing that the big guys can't do. Even if they have an inclination to, they're not able to do what a smaller operation can do in terms of having that one-on-one relationship. So that's really important. It's a really great point, and your book plays into that, too, because you're helping to educate and, like you mentioned, kind of answer the questions that people already had about the process. Have you found that to be true? Have you gotten feedback as far as that from your customers or or future customers? Yeah, I can't believe how much people seem to like the book. Yeah, I've even been mistaken as a professional writer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I've been, uh, been fortunate that way that, I think the book was a success, and uh, every year I make cider, and uh, some years it's fantastic, uh, but I don't know how I did it, and it just happened that way, and I could never repeat it, and absolutely how writing the book was. I do. I think it is good, but I have no idea how I could ever do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, if you've been able to achieve that much with one book, that's a huge deal that so many people go through their lives, including business owners and homesteaders that never get to do anything like that. So that's fabulous that you've been able to reach out like that and been able to make a difference. You know, I, I want to share that attention with uh, all small apple farmers and cider makers and uh, encourage everybody to uh, to dig deep and uh, find those local resources because 
like I said, I'm I'm just one of literally thousands around the country. Absolutely. Well, fabulous. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show, Andy. This is a, a lot to chew on. You've got so much information and such a depth of thought put into everything that you do that uh, we'd love to have you on the show in the future sometime. And in the meantime, I look forward to meeting you out at the Mother of News Fair in Albany, Oregon. And thanks again for being on the Off the Grid Biz podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for your podcast. I mean, I too, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you. You know, Andy's a really sweet, really smart guy. Lots of fun to talk to. A lot of this conversation went back in my mind to the importance of understanding your own nature. If you happen to be a nonconformist, if you happen to be an introvert and allowing room to continue being who you are, just like he talked about allowing time to just be alone while he's out and about and traveling, it really comes down to know thyself. I think it's cool how he has this history, this background story to the name of his cider, Aaron Burr Cider. It's great to have those type of things. I know he didn't do it on purpose, but the fact that it came about and he's taken advantage of that, that shows a lot of ingenuity, along with all the different ways that he's able to be artistic and be himself and be able to express himself, even in ironic ways when it came to putting his brand out there on underwear and everything else. It's just very funny, very cool. Right toward the end, the point he made about relationships, about really having that one-on-one with your customers, and how the larger corporations and brands, they can't compete with that. You could bring something completely different and be able to have that one-on-one relationship and be able to be an actual person to your customers. Not just a personality, but be a real person, someone they can talk to on the phone or communicate via email. I think that's important, and it ties in so great with his book because his book puts himself out there. It's him spending hours and hours and hours putting this book together. I mean, that talk about blood, sweat, and tears. I can't wait to get into that book. It's his passion for a worthwhile cause. He has this concept of the way that it was, the way we should be paying attention to our agriculture and our plants. It's important to have that. It's important to be able to voice that and have that be tied to your brand also so that people who either already have that cause in mind can be connected with you and your brand. And also it brings other people who have liked your cider. Now they can come in and learn this story. That's something they would not have known otherwise. And you can bring new people into the cause. Overall, I expect really big things from Andy Brendan in the future and can't wait to try his cider at the Mother Earth News Fair. Join us again on the next Off the Grid Biz Podcast, brought to you by the team at brianjpombo.com, helping successful but overworked entrepreneurs transform their companies into dream assets. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Off the Grid Biz Podcast, Go to offthegridbiz.com slash contact. Those who appear on this show do not necessarily endorse my beliefs, suggestions, or advice, or any of the services provided by our sponsor. Our theme music is Cold Sun by Dell. Our executive producer and head researcher is Sean E. Douglas. I'm Brian Pombo, and until next time, I wish you peace, freedom, and success.